Mark chapter 9 and verse 1. The Bible says, He said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that there be some of them that stand here, which shall not taste of death, till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. And after six days Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John, and leadeth them up into a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. And there appeared unto them Elias with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias. For he wist not what to say, or he knew not what to say, for they were sore afraid. And there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. And suddenly, when they had looked round about, they saw no man any more, save Jesus only with themselves. What if you were told on good authority that you would live to see Jesus return in your lifetime? Now, this is not me talking. So, you know, me saying you might live to see Jesus come back. Now, we're talking about if you had it from a good authority. Let's suppose that Jesus himself came back and he walked into this sanctuary this morning and he said, okay, I'm just stopping through for the day, but um, I will come back in your lifetime. There's a significant chance that I will return in your lifetime. How would you respond to that? If it was revealed to you that you would live to see the return of the Lord, how would that affect you? How would it change your behavior? How would it change your values to know that in your lifetime, your faith will be made sight, and in your lifetime, what God has been promising for over 2,000 years, if you're a Christian, over 6,000 years, if you're an Israelite, that all of that would come true in your lifetime. How would that change things? In verse 1, Jesus says, Verily I say unto you, that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death, Till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. In essence, Jesus was telling his disciples, some of you are going to live to see heavenly things. Some of you are going to receive tangible proof that Jesus is the Christ and you will see the power of God's kingdom. When Jesus said these words, how do you think the disciples responded to it? How do you think it made them feel? How do you think it changed the way they were thinking? In Mark chapter 9, verses 1 through 8, we learn three things. We learn, first of all, that the kingdom is coming. And with each passing day, the odds of us living to see it in our lifetime increases. We learn that Jesus is the one. Mm -hmm. You say, isn't that basic Christianity 101? And you think you're teaching me a new truth here? We need to be reminded of this. And we learn that our faith is to be in him Mm -hmm. and him alone. So let's get started with some good old-fashioned Baptist preaching about the kingdom is coming. The one thing that we miss in this, in this sanctuary is the heavenly highway hymns that have that song, The King is Coming, by the Gaithers, with all the verses and everything. It's a beautiful song. But the kingdom is coming. 
Jesus told his disciples in verse 1, he said, Verily I say unto you, that there be some here which shall not taste death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. That there would be some of those standing there in the presence of Jesus who would see the power of the kingdom of God, who would have tangible evidence of the kingdom of God, who would see it with their own eyes, who would experience the presence of it, who would see heavenly things. Some of those standing in the presence of Christ that day would live to see it. Now, he says, some of you that stand here will not taste of death till you have seen the kingdom of God come with power. Some people misinterpret that and say that, well, that means that some of them would live to see the return of Jesus, and they didn't. That's not what Jesus was saying. He was saying, you're going to see the kingdom come with power. You're going to see kingdom power. You're going to see supernatural power. You're going to see some amazing things. Amen. Was it Nathaniel that was sitting under the fig tree? And Philip or Peter went to him and said, um, we have found the Christ and he's come out of Nazareth. And he says, can any good come out of Nazareth? Yeah. And Nathaniel goes to Jesus and Jesus says, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no guile. And Nathaniel goes, oh, wow, you are the Lord. Mm -hmm. And Jesus said, you believe because of that, you're going to see some more powerful things. What Jesus is promising his disciples is they're going to see power here. They're going to see the power of the kingdom. Their faith would be validated. What they had longed for will become a reality. And you know, with the passing of each day, the coming of the kingdom of God gets closer. Amen. I met a missionary one day. He said that he surrendered to the ministry in 1978. And he knew that when he surrendered to the ministry, his life, his service was going to be being a missionary. This man has served all over the world. He served in Romania. He served in northern Colorado. I think he's still serving in northern Colorado. He has been all over the world serving the Lord as a missionary. He said when he surrendered to the ministry in 1978, he felt that he had to get to the mission field as soon as possible because Jesus was coming back tomorrow. And he said he still lives with that urgency because even though, where are we, 40 years? 40, well, yeah, 41 years. I should be able to do the math back to 1978, shouldn't I, Jessica? I don't want to. But 41 years later, he says that if, you know, the urgency was in 1978, Jesus is coming back soon. Imagine how soon Jesus is coming back now. With each passing day, the odds of seeing Jesus return in our lifetime increases. And not only with the passing of time, because we know he's going to come back, so obviously with each day that passes, the days are fewer, but we also see the signs being fulfilled all around us. Whether we're talking about the way the world is aligning itself, nation against nation and kingdom against kingdom. This, by the way, is talking about ethnicities and political nations as well. You see, when you turn on the news, that ethnically... People are lining up against each other. Yeah. Nation against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. Those are political nations. The United States and Russia. Uh, the Middle East. The European Union. And, and the, the, the North Korea and China and Russia and the United States. And all of these alignments taking place. Nation against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. The Bible tells us that. In the latter days, the love of many will wax cold and men will be without natural affection. Amen. We're there. Yes. 
you know, back when I was growing up, it was, well, thank goodness we don't live in California. There's some lost people out there. We got people living around us that are more lost than how lost we thought the people in California were back in 1988. I mean, I'm watching our culture crumble. And it's not political. It's, it's not about what you see on the TV news. It's about what goes on behind closed doors when nobody's looking. Stuff that doesn't make the news. We're there. Why? Because the love of many is waxed cold. That people are without natural affection. You, you read about these babies being abandoned. And you wonder how can a mother abandon her baby? You, you read about the, you know, when, when I, well, some of it does make the news. When I turn on the TV and I see that they're debating whether or not you can abort a child in the immediate aftermath of its birth. How can a mother make that decision? I can, I can kind of understand how a mother could make the decision before birth because you can still kind of, I suppose, convince yourself it's not a child. But when you hear that cry for the first time, how do you walk away from that? I don't understand. And I'm not a mother. I'm a father. The bond is different. But I don't understand. Our nation, our culture, our societal values, natural affection, it's all crumbling. We see the signs all around us. With each passing day, the return of the Lord gets closer. Some of us may live to see that in our lifetimes. Some of us may cross over into eternity first. But the fact of the matter is, whether I preach your funeral, or whether you and I are standing together when the Lord returns, we will see the kingdom of God. Yes. The question is, are you ready? Are you looking forward to the return of the Lord? Are you prepared for it? Have you trusted Jesus as your personal Savior? If Jesus were to walk through that door right now, would that be good news for you? Amen. That's, the, that's the question you have to answer for yourself. And if it wouldn't be good news for you, then the good news is it can be good news for you. Amen. And it can be good news for you in a moment's notice. Yes. Because salvation is by faith and faith alone. Amen. It's a decision to trust Jesus. Simply put, I can't make it any more simple than that. He couldn't have made it any more simple than that. All I've got to do is explain it. Yeah. But just to simply trust Jesus. To trust that he gave his life on the cross for your sins. And he will receive you into his kingdom because of the price he paid on the cross for your sins. I believe that people who come to that trust in the Lord, they're saved. Amen. But what I believe doesn't matter. What matters is what the Bible says. That's right. What does the Bible say? What did Jesus say? Yep. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And he believeth on the son is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already. Jesus preached through four books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Never saw him say that you had to be baptized. He did say those who believe and are baptized are saved, but he didn't say that it was a prerequisite. Never saw Jesus say, okay, get down to the nearest Baptist church and talk to the preacher. 
Never saw Jesus say you have to agree to never smoke a cigarette again. That's a good thing to not do anymore. What is, but what does he say? When, when Jesus talks about salvation, when he talks about being accepted into the kingdom, when he talks about the new birth, John chapter 3, the new birth, you must be born again. We Baptist preachers, we love that. Are you, have you been born again? Are you a born again believer? Are you a born again Christian? Well, yes, I am. Well, prove it to me. What did Jesus say? He's talking about the new birth in John chapter 3. He told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Nicodemus goes, I don't follow you here. Am I supposed to go back into my mother's womb? And Jesus says, and you're a college professor. <laughs> Jesus said, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Mm -hmm. It's a spiritual birth. Well, how do you get to that spiritual birth? Well, we flip over to the book of Acts. No, we don't. Mm -hmm. We stay with Jesus. Because Jesus explains the new birth in John chapter 3. What does he tell us? He tells us the story of Moses in the Old Testament. I'm so far off my outline right now. He tells us the story of Moses in the Old Testament when the children of Israel murmured against God. And they complained against God. God had brought them out of slavery. Do you know how bad the slavery was in Egypt? We can't fathom how cruel the slavery of Egypt was. They were trying to kill the Jews off through hard labor. It's... I, I can't talk about it because this is such a raw issue with many. And I don't want to cause, you know, first do no harm, right? God brought them out of this slavery where Egypt was trying to exterminate them. Brought them through the Red Sea, destroyed the army of Egypt in the process. They no longer have to worry about the Egyptians coming and getting them. Feeds them in the desert. Provides them water in the desert. We were reading in the book of Exodus and it appears that God made sure they had water everywhere they went you go back and you read about the rock that was flowing he led them personally and they're complaining next time you tell your kids you never appreciate anything I do for you think about that they're murmuring God said you want to murmur I got something for you he sends the King James Version says fiery serpents. Yeah. What that means is he sent poisonous snakes into their camp. Yeah. Jackie Bibby would have been happy. <laughs> and as people were being bitten by these poisonous snakes, they're dying. And Moses says, God, do something. And God says, I want you to make a serpent out of brass, mm -hmm. put it on a pole, put the pole up in the middle of the camp. If any man is bitten by a snake, he looks at that brazen serpent that bronze snake and he'll be healed mm -hmm. that's all he had to do that happened in the book of Exodus and so if you were bitten by one of those poisonous snakes you just hobbled outside your tent and looked up at that brazen serpent and you were going to live mm -hmm. all you had to do is look and live Isaiah 45 22 look unto me and be ye saved saith the Lord I am, the, I am God and there is none else look and live that's all he had to do and so Jesus is telling Nicodemus in John chapter 3 about the new birth. You must be born again. How can I do that? Jesus says, well, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
It's that, it's that belief, that trust that he'll receive you, plain and simple, that saves you. Yeah. Now, when you come to that point of faith, when you come to that belief that Jesus died for your sins, that he saved you, that he redeemed you, that changes you. Amen. That changes you, and it opens up a new reality. You can't go back from that. That's security of the believer. God keeps that faith within us. He keeps yeah. us believing. He keeps reminding us of his presence. Amen. You can't go back. That's salvation. That's faith. That's what it's all about. Amen. And be, if you've trusted the Lord in that way, then the arrival of Jesus Christ is good news. Because even though we trust the Lord as our Savior, we still struggle. And we struggle with a lot. We struggle with bills. We struggle with finances. We struggle with family. We struggle with drama. But do you know who gives me more problems than anybody else in the world? And I've had some people give me some problems. I'm not looking at anybody in particular about that. None of y'all, none of y'all are my problems. So if, if, why are you looking at me? It's, it's not you. But I've had some people give me some problems. I've had some people that have stressed me out beyond belief. But even with all of that, the person that gives me the most trouble is the one I look at in the mirror when I don't shave in the mornings. And that's our struggle. We still have that struggle. But the blessing of the Lord is despite that struggle, he is going to return. He's going to receive us. And in that struggle, that struggle I have with myself, that struggle I have with myself, am I doing things with the right intention? That struggle I have with myself when I'm not appreciating what God has done for me. That struggle I'm having with myself when I just want to just not even care anymore. And, 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 and the struggle's good deeper than that. Y'all don't want to hear about my problems. But anyway, one day I'll be delivered from that struggle. Right. And one day you'll be delivered from your struggle. <laughs> I look at my personal situation, my personal, and, 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 and I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Uh, financially, I'm blessed. Okay. Um, JJ and I had a good time out last night, all right? We're blessed. We're, we're not in destitution by any means of the imagination. Um, I didn't get to watch SFA play Baylor, but I'm still blessed. And SFA lost badly, so I'm still blessed. But anyway, um, but sometimes we can get to feeling unthankful. But even with that, God brings us back to center. And I can open the Bible and read about those Israelites in the wilderness and go, yep, there I am. Yeah. I can read about King David in Psalm 51 and say, yep, there I am. The, um, the wicked servant that owed the king money, he goes before the king. He says, I can't pay you. I'm sorry. Please have mercy. And the king forgives him his debt. And then he goes out and finds a guy that owes him money. And he shakes him down and has him thrown in prison. There I am. The, ser the servant that buries the talent instead of investing the talent, there I am. I look at my personal situation, and it's a collection of these decisions I've made. Drop out of school. Do this, do that. And here I am. But God still loves us. Yes. Uses those experiences to refine us. Mm -hmm. And the day is coming when he'll return and he'll receive us into his kingdom. And he made this promise to these disciples. I want you to know he kept the promise to the disciples. He said...
that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death until they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. And in verses 2 through 4, we have an interesting situation that happens here. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up into a high mountain. <clears throat> They're by themselves. They're away from the other disciples. And Jesus' clothing, his raiment, became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. Now, what Mark doesn't tell us, that Matthew tells us, that the other Gospels tell us, is that while they go up into this mountain, Peter, James, and John fall asleep. And when they wake up, there's Jesus, glorified, shining, the, the glory of God upon him. And he's talking with Moses and Elijah. Now, how they knew that that was Moses and Elijah, I don't know. Maybe they asked Jesus later, who, who was you talking to up there? Oh, Moses and Elijah. Well, no, Peter knew it when they were talking because he started to wanting to make tabernacles. I have no idea how they knew who they were because they didn't have pictures in their Bibles back then. But anyway, they see Jesus and all of his glory and all of his power talking with Moses and Elijah. Can you imagine how powerful that must have been? To see the two biggest heroes of the Old Testament or two of the biggest heroes of the Old Testament there in person. They saw the kingdom of God and its power. I mean, is there a Bible hero you would like to meet? Anybody from the Bible you, you, you think it'd be fascinating to see? Yeah, Apostle, I mean, besides Jesus, I mean, he's obvious. We're, that, this is why we're here. We're looking forward to meeting him. But, you know, maybe the Apostle Paul. I think I'd get along with Peter. <laughs> Peter and I have the same temper. Um, Peter and I have the same issues. We talk before our brain is engaged. We behave in a rash manner. I think, I think Peter and I would figure, would understand each other pretty well. I mean, is there anybody from the Bible? You know, this is what Peter's experiencing right now. He is there and he is seeing Moses and Elijah. This is the author of the law. And this is the premier prophet of the old Testament, the law and the prophets. And in this moment, everything Peter was raised to believe about Moses, about Elijah, about God's kingdom. In this moment, everything he was raised to believe was validated. And he was told he would see the kingdom come with power. And here we are, the kingdom, the power, it's all there. Peter sees it. He gets so excited, he starts talking without thinking about what he's talking about. And he gets in trouble. It's another reason Peter and I would have got along good. <laughs> The promise we have is that the kingdom is coming and we will see it. But as we think about these things, we need to remember why the kingdom is coming and why we have hope we'll see it. And that's because of Jesus. Now, Peter, he wakes up and there's Jesus talking with Moses and Elijah. Wow. Man, this is awesome. Peter says, Lord, it is good that we be here. Now, what Peter was saying was, this is awesome. He says... Master, it's good for us to be here. This is awesome. Tell you what, let's make three tabernacles, all right? Because I don't want this moment to go away. We've got to keep these guys here. I don't, I don't want to sit down and talk to them. So, okay, three tabernacles, Jesus. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. I mean, he is just really, he's beside himself here. And then the cloud overshadows them and the voice from heaven that says, This is my beloved son. Hear him. God spoke to Peter 
this is my beloved son, hear him. And the other passages that record the, this transfiguration, God says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Yeah. Hear ye him. See, in their lives, Moses and Elijah, they prophesied of Christ. Their presence here in this story, in this, in this instance, represents the law and the prophets of the Old Testament. The law and the prophets of the Old Testament, the Old Testament is divided out into three sections, law, psalms, and prophets. The law and the prophets, all of that foretold of the coming of Christ. Mm -hmm. All of the sacrifices of the Old Testament, all of the laws, all the ceremonial laws, everything had a shadow of Christ. Well, what about thou shalt not steal? Well, that goes along with Jesus' summation of the law, which says that thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, and with all thy soul. Mm -hmm. And thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you're not stealing the car, <laughs> Brother Jim. So, it all, you know, now who is Jesus? Jesus is love. Mm -hmm. The Old Testament law, even the Ten Commandments point to Jesus. Amen. Okay? The prophets foretold of the coming of Jesus. They foretold of the hope he would bring, the redemption he'd bring, the salvation he'd bring. Moses and Elijah, their existence was to point to Jesus, to, to refer people to the Lord, to refer people to God for redemption, for salvation, for restoration. That's what they were there for. And Peter's looking at this situation. He wants to give them their own tabernacles. God says, no, they're here for my son. Amen. You hear him. Yes. There are a lot of distractions vying for our attention preachers vie for our attention authors theologians movie producers radio personalities musical artists and each has something to sell I know they have something to sell because that book is 1999 these each of these preachers artists movie producers, actors, theologians, they all promise a special insight that will give you a revolutionary new take on the Bible. But these insights should direct us and not distract us from Christ. If what you're studying is not driving you to a more fuller understanding of Christ and his love and his redemption in your life, it is a distraction. the more spiritually mature we become, the less we feel that we need to rely on preachers, televangelists, authors, actors, movie producers, musical artists. Rich Mullins was one of the most transformational Christian artists of the 1980s and the 1990s. His song, Awesome God, is in a lot of hymnals and is sung still by contemporary worship churches all over the world. And he said that when it comes to scriptural and spiritual things that um, 
Christians should not be turning to Christian singers because they don't know a whole lot. He said, because I still want you to buy the CD and come to the concert. He said, but if you're looking for deep spiritual truth, for deep scriptural truth, he said, go to church. He said, they'll teach you, they'll love you, and they won't make you buy a ticket. The more spiritually mature we become, the less we need these things. We may still enjoy these things, but the less we need them, the less we depend on them for our understanding of the Lord. The more spiritually mature we become, the more we can turn to the scriptures Mm -hmm. and come to a a more fuller understanding of the Lord through that. Moses and Elijah represented the Old Testament law and the prophets, and those were the scriptures that they had back in Jesus' day. But did you know it's possible to study the scriptures and completely miss the point. If our study of the scriptures does not bring us closer to the Lord, we're doing it wrong. See, Jesus is the one. He's what it's all about. Mm -hmm. Beware of the preacher that says, you know, I know a lot of people, you know, want to preach Jesus, but let's get into the deeper aspects of scripture. The, the, the deeper you get in the scripture, the more you find Jesus. That's right. Amen. Prodigal son. I can take the story of the prodigal son and tell you all about the evils of wanting your inheritance early and squandering your possessions on lavish living, but how we should forgive those that do. Or I can tell you that the father in that story is Jesus and the prodigal son is me. Yeah. And it was Jesus that was waiting on me Mm -hmm. when I came home. (laughs) Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God given for our redemption and salvation. The gospel is the central turning point of human history. It's the fundamental message of the Bible. Our lives, our theology, our mission, our mission statement, Brother Jim. Um, All of it. Our worship services here. It all centers. Our fellowship with each other. All centers around Christ. And our faith is to be in Christ and in Christ alone. In verse 7, God said, This is my beloved Son. Hear him. Between Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, mm-hmm. Peter needed to hear Jesus. Amen. To hear means to listen attentively and to learn. Peter was told to listen to, to learn from, and to trust Christ exclusively. Like I said, the more we grow in our faith, the more our faith centers around Christ. Our faith centers around Christ alone and not ourselves. There are a lot of Christians, a lot of people who identify as Christians, that they say they believe in Jesus, but their behavior, their spirituality, their intelligence, their actions are what make them feel good about their standing in the kingdom. Folks, that'll tell you that I have not sinned since 1984. That's a shame you just broke that street because that was pride and that's a sin. It's around Christ alone and not ourselves. We fail daily. We know that we are unable, but we know that he'll love us and receive us anyway. As we grow in our faith, the more our faith centers around Christ, around Christ alone and not our denomination. I know I'm going to heaven. I'm a member of a church in the American Baptist Association. We're one of the remnant, one of the few remaining faithful that still use the King James Version. 
No, that's not where our faith is. Our faith is in Christ alone. So I don't freak out when you whip out a new living translation. Because I know you're trying to get out of that new living translation what I'm trying to get out of the King James Version. A closer relationship with Christ. Amen. It's around Christ alone and not the televangelists and the celebrity preachers. I was visiting a patient here recently and she had Jimmy Swaggart on television. You did not know he was still around? Yeah, he's, he, he's evidently got a TV channel. She told me he's on this channel 24 hours a day. If your faith was bound up in Jimmy Swaggart, when Jimmy Swaggart fell into sin, that would have devastated you. But if your faith is in the Lord and the Lord alone, when Jimmy Swaggart fell, you understood the broken nature of man. Around Christ alone and not the televangelists or the celebrity preachers. I'm not telling you to turn off the TV. I'm just telling you where to have your faith. You see, we're saved by faith in Christ and faith alone and faith in Christ alone. Amen. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace through faith that you are saved, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of good works, lest any man should boast. Romans chapter 3 said, Where is boasting? It is excluded. By what law? The law of works, nay, but the law of faith. I cannot boast because I haven't made good decisions, because I don't have any righteousness in and, of our, in and of myself. Don't amen that. I don't have any righteousness in and of myself. I don't have the ability to be a great spiritual giant. All I have is the grace of God who redeemed me, who paid for my sins on the cross, and who allows me to read this Bible to understand what it says and even gives me the, the privilege of telling others. By God's grace through faith, and faith alone, no works. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You know, we, we will see the coming of the Lord. And when Jesus returns... If you know him as Savior, if you're trusting his redemption, if you have been changed by that faith, born again, as Jesus said in John chapter 3, that'll be good news for you. Mm -hmm. What scripture teaches us to do is to look forward to that day and to continue to trust Jesus. 